0: Why don't I open up in a word of prayer, and then we can get started. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this beautiful day um, that is a gift from you. Thank you for um, the ability to come to Wellspring, and um, just for bringing all these ladies here today. I pray that this morning um, is honoring to you that um, Eric, as he teaches, is clear, and your word is um, glorified as we listen. I pray that we do listen with humility because we know we need to grow and we need to change. Father God, um, thank you particularly this morning for the ladies over in Wellspring Kids and for how hard they work so that we can be here. We love you, Lord. In your name, amen. Um, so this morning, Alexis, there is she. Is she oh, Oh my goodness, I couldn't see you. I was like looking. Alexis is going to come lead us in the discipline.
1: Good morning, you guys. I'm glad to be here. Um, this morning, we're going to look at Galatians 4, 4 through 5. So while you guys open up to that, I'm going to go over the um, Wellspring disciplines. So the purpose of Wellspring is to equip and encourage the women of Grace Bible Church to separate their hearts towards Christ with the Word of God so that they live gospel-transformed lives, thus strengthening the church in its gospel purpose. Discipline one, that's what we're going to focus on this morning, is the heart. The faithful woman of God shepherds her heart worshipfully toward God through the word of God and in particular the gospel. The faithful woman of God is concerned for those in her home and ministers to them with her heart fixed on God and his word. Discipline two. Discipline three is with a heart fixed on God and keeping her God-given ministry within her home of priority The faithful woman of God steps into the church and every part of life to shepherd others towards God and the gospel I once had a garage sale uh, To raise money for foster care and adoption expenses as we eagerly anticipated beginning foster care Um, A gentleman stopped by and he asked why are you doing foster care? And I said, well, I have been adopted by God, and so I want to adopt a child um, out of love for God. And I remember thinking, I know this is true, because God's Word says it's true, but I don't really know what it means. And um, it seemed like a theoretical concept, but I didn't really know how it was applied or felt in my walk with Christ. But in God's kindness, He was about to reveal to me um, a deeper meaning of my adoption in Christ. Galatians 4 4 through 5 says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoptions as sons. Um, when Adam and Eve sinned, everything was tainted with sin. People no longer were born loving God, seeking after him. Or having a loving inclination to obey him and a rescuer was needed. We needed a loving, powerful father to see our desperate state, to rescue us, save us from our lawlessness, and love us despite our flaws. Uh, many of these same concepts are demonstrated as a parent to an adopted child. Um, children from hard places need a loving parent to rescue them from the current lawlessness being done to them uh, provide safety and love them despite their sin just like God so lovingly does for us. But adoption also has been affected by the stain of sin and I can actually see more clearly my father's precious love for me um, because of the trials that can come Um, with adoption. And here's a scenario to demonstrate God's love for us. Um, An adoptive child wakes up and comes out of their room a certain morning, and the parent can right away feel a coldness to the morning greeting. It is seen that in this child there is not a natural flowing love and desire to please the parent, but instead a defiance due to a deep-rooted lack of trust. Um, And it is hard for adoptive children to trust their parents because trust has been so deeply broken before adoption. Um, This lack of trust is a perfect breeding ground for rebellion and self-rule. The parent right away recognizes that the child has forgotten that the parent's love for them um, can be trusted, Um, that their plan for the child's good that their discipline is for the child's good, and the child may need to be reminded that joy will come when you are trusting your parents and choosing to love and obey your parents. Just like this adoptive child, have you ever woken up one morning with a lackluster love for Christ, a bend to be hard-hearted, or a heart that doesn't trust God? I know I have, and just like this adoptive child, I needed a loving reminder that God can't be trusted, that we are loved by Him. Um, it is good to obey Him. Um, and where do we find this reminder more clearly than in His Word? This is where discipline one comes in. We must come to meet with our Father. We must read God's Word to remind our hearts of the Father's character. Just like the child who needs to be shown how their parents do love them. The Bible is our way to gaze on God's word um, and to gaze on who God is so that we can absolutely remember that he is all the time um, able to be trusted. And not only can he be trusted, but we need to remember that his ways are good and therefore are good. When we do not meet with God regularly and we are not cultivating a trusting, dependent relationship with God, this creates a rich um, ground for rebellion and self-rule. So I must put my heart before the entirety of God's Word so I can continually grow in love for who God says He is. And out of this growing love and trust in God, my obedience will certainly grow. And when my obedience grows, my joy will also. So look at verse 4, 6 through 7. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Um, It's sweet that the word Abba is actually daddy. And so when God redeemed us, he put his spirit in us. And we have a new heart that can cry out, Daddy, Father. Um, He loves us despite our sin. He keeps us when we feel hard-hearted. He is trustworthy when we are not. Gracious through our doubts of him, we must take the time each day to meet with our Father so we can stay in awe of his love for us, soft to his instruction and discipline and trusting him above all else. So thanks be to God that at the right time he showed me mercy, that when I was dead in my sin, hating God and consent to do so, he redeemed me so that I can now be his daughter. Once an enemy and now I am an heir, a slave of God, a daughter. Can I pray for us? Um, Lord, thank you that you um, didn't just save us um, from our sin but Lord, we also have the privilege to be adopted into your family. Um, Every other religion in the world, I just think that they want to be free from the consequence of sin, but they don't actually dream of having a loving father as their God. And that's exactly what you've done. You just call us to trust you, to turn to you and believe in you. And then you not only save us, but you also adopt us and we get to be your children, and Lord, you are our Father. You are good and kind. Um, You can be trusted, um, and you love us. And Lord, we just rest in that, and we praise you for that. Um, We are not deserving of this kind of love, but Lord, thank you that you have done that. Amen.
0: You guys may be wondering if I'm going to be doing a next generation ministry lesson. I'm not. Some of you may hope that I was, but. So, as you guys practice discipline number one, shepherding your own hearts, and as the fruit of that is seen in those in the closest relationships around you through discipline number two, um, we are well equipped. To step into other people's lives. And that's what we're going to be talking about today, is discipline number three. And specifically, discipline number three as it applies to uh, the biblical, what we, you know, how we are to interrelate, how the kind of relationships we're to have with one another, biblical relationships. Did you want me to do something? No? Okay. You were kind of, okay. And uh, before we get started, I want to pray because we're going to be drinking from the fire hose a little bit this morning so let's pray lord as we step into your word and survey what your word has to say about how we're to relate to one another biblically biblical relationships with one another i pray that you would that it would just bear much fruit that it would just make much of you and that grace bible church would just be a better instrument jesus for your glory and for our good and it's always in your great name we pray amen so specifically this morning we're going to talk about biblical relationships and we're going to talk about those biblical relationships specifically within the local church and the tool that we're going to use to do that is something called the one another's Uh, many of you if you've been a christian for very long have probably heard the term, you know, one another's, Uh, and the one another's are a tool to survey scripture for how we practice biblical relationships within the local church. So, you know, they're a tool that we get to use. They're not some special thing. It's just kind of a way to look at all these different commands that believers are given with how you're supposed to relate with one another. And the one another's don't capture everything about how believers relate to one another, but they are a very helpful tool. And so kind of the first question that comes to mind is, how did we come up with this list of one another's? The the tiny little phrase, one another, is a very simple adjective pronoun pair. And in my English translation, the NAS, the one another, that phrase shows up 108 times in 101 verses in the New Testament. And there are primarily two Greek pronouns that get translated into that English phrase. And some of those 101 verses are simply narrative passages that are explaining what's going on. Uh, like in Mark 8:16, it says, they began to discuss with with one another that they had no bread. Uh, however, what we want to do is we want to look for the imperatives. We want to look for the commands or expectations for how believers are to relate to one another. Uh, there are some that are uh, there are some of those things uh, that are imperatives or commands that really don't apply. Uh, for example, uh, in Matthew twenty four verse ten, it says, "Betray one another, hate one another." Revelation six four, "Slay one another." That's not what we're going for here either. Um, and the results of filtering down this list. Uh, all the commands that are relating to believers, we get 38 different one another's that are contained in 59 different verses or passages. Uh, for example, and the reason there's a discontinuity there is uh, there are 14 uses of love one another. So some of them are uh, applied more than once. They're found in two gospels, Mark and John. They're found in 16 out of the 27 books in the New Testament. And the vast majority of of the one another's are explicit commands or expectations for believers and the vast majority of these commands are to be carried out within the local church so look around this room look at the people in this room think of your small group or on Sunday when we gather in the worship center look around this coming Sunday take a look around These are the people that we are to be practicing these one another's with. And my hope and desire as we complete going through this lesson is to just provide a familiarity with the one another's. We're not going to go through all of them. You guys will have, you know, you guys have this resource sheet. We'd be here for a few more hours if I were to try to go through all of them. And we're not going to do that. Uh, But my, my hope is that as you guys become familiar with them, that you would be practicing or practicing them more effectively within the body, and because I'm speaking to Grace Bible Church, this is our local church. This is the body that we're to be practicing those with. And my hope that after going through this lesson is that you guys will see that the obedient Christian, you, me, the obedient Christian, must be in close biblical relationships with fellow believers within the local church, specifically here at Grace Bible Church. And evidence of those biblical relationships is the practice of the one another's with one another within the local church. I'll say that again. The obedient Christian must be in close biblical relationships with fellow believers within the local church. And evidence of those close biblical relationships is the practice of the one another's with one another in the local church. The one another's are essentially a manual for biblical relationships within the local church. And one thing that we're not gonna do as we walk through this is we're not gonna think about or pit against each other passages that talk about believers loving other believers in general or loving non-believers all these passages uh, coexist and complement each other well but today what we're going to do is we're going to focus on how believers are supposed to interact with believers within the local church and so you'll notice on this you might as well pull it out because we'll I'll be referencing it you'll notice there's six different categories of the one another's so of the of the 38 different uh, one another's there's Six different categories, love, care, edification, service, humility, and unity. And as we walk through these, we're going to ask six questions, and we're going to address some of the different one another's from each one of those categories. So we're going to ask six questions on how to investigate. We're going to ask six questions to investigate how God wants us to practice biblical relationships within the local church. And the first question is, how does God want us to practice loving one another? How does God want us to practice loving one another? The primary and single most important one another is love one another. This command stands over and above all the others. It's an umbrella that covers all the others. All the other one another's flow out of this command. They flow out of a love for one another. And if you guys can turn to John chapter 13, we'll be in uh, verse 34 and 35. John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. And the historical context here is that Jesus and his disciples are in Jerusalem. They're in the upper room for the Last Supper, and he's hours away from going to the cross. Judas has already left at this point, and Jesus provides a new commandment to the disciples. In verse thirty-four, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. I want you to see that word love. When you read that word, what what, what comes to mind? What what kind of what do you think about? What are one of the first things? Um, I know usually one of the first things that I think about when I think of the word love is the emotion. Uh, The feelings, the warm affections that I have for people that I care about. Biblical love includes that, but this is so much more. A biblical love is one that loves the Lord with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's one that loves our neighbor as ourselves. It is a selfless love, a self-giving love. That kind of love is one that transcends our circumstances. I want you also to notice something about that word love in this context. It's a verb. It's an active verb. This love is a love of action, and in this use of love, that action is directed towards one another. And now Jesus provides a new commandment. It's new because it narrows the focus of the love. The disciples are not simply to have a love of neighbor. That's already been established in Matthew 22, verses 36 through 40, and in Leviticus 19, verse 18. Here they are to love one another. And the one another's here that Jesus is talking about are the 12 disciples, well, 11, because Judas is left. You, disciples, love one another. Love the disciples. Jesus did not give this command to the crowds, He did not give this command to all those that were following him. He gave this command specifically and intimately to the eleven. To the ones he had spent three years developing very close intimate relationships with. And these disciples are to love one another with a love that's modeled after the love that Christ had for them. Notice in verse 34 it says, Even as I have loved you. They're to love each other with the love that Christ showed them. And what kind of love did Christ give, show them, have for them? His love was unconditional. These 12 were not the easiest bunch to to love. His love was humble. This is the creator, the king, the God of the universe, becoming a man and spending three years with this group. His love was merciful. His love was gracious. His love was patient regardless of what they did or said, and they often said many interesting things, he was patient with them. Christ was, his love was self-giving. His love was selfless. His love ultimately was sacrificial. His love for them was demonstrated at great cost to himself. And he loved them when they didn't love him. He loved them when he knew they were going to abandon him. And they, at this point, are literally hours away from doing that. The disciples were to have that kind of a love for one another. And the results of that love in verse 35 is that by this all men will know that you are my disciples. All men, all people will know who follows Christ by the love we have for one another. That love provides a witness, a testimony to the world. And this, this new commandment that Jesus gives the disciples is a commandment for us. We are, we are to love one another as Christ has loved us. We are to have close, intimate relationships with fellow believers for the purpose of pouring out our love on them. And our love for one another stands as a witness to an unbelieving world who doesn't understand that kind of love. And they'll know who we follow because of it. Our love for one another draws attention to Christ, and the love that we have and show demonstrates and magnifies Christ, ultimately. This love is the outstanding, and it is the essential mark of a Christian. Another instance of love one another is found in 1 John chapter 3, verse 11. 1 John chapter 3, verse 11. I'm actually going to start reading in verse 10. Uh, And 1 John was written to... uh, local churches, some local churches that were likely around Ephesus, and we're going to start reading in verse 10. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of the evil one, and slew his brother. And for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death and into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. We know love by this, that he, Jesus, laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him? How does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. We will know by this that we are of the truth and and will assure our heart before him. And dropping down to verse 23, this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he commanded us. Verse 10, does not love his brother. He who does not love his brother is not of God. Our love is, our love for one another is evidence that we are believers. Verse 14, we know that we have passed out of death and into life because we love the brethren. Again, our love for the brethren is evidence that we've been saved. Verse 16, we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren christ's supreme example the love that christ displayed by laying down his life is an example for us verse 17 we love one another by providing for worldly needs of the brethren of our brethren verse, four, verse 18 we love indeed in truth our love has action that is supported by and with god's word and verse 23 we love one another just as he commanded us Another love one another is found, at least in my Bible, it's on the following page. First John uh, 4.11, I'm going to start reading in verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this, the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Verse 10, he loved us when we didn't love him we hated him and rebelled against him and God the father sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins God sent the perfect sinless one from heaven to earth to become a human to be born and to live in a fallen sinful world and ultimately he sent him to be the wrath satisfying sacrifice for our sins Propitiation means the wrath sacrifice for our sins. And this was not for his sins. Jesus did not sin. This was not for everyone's sins. This was for our sins, his people, his church. Jesus bore the wrath, the punishment for sins for those who did not love him. And verse 11 says, If God so loved us like that, we also ought to love one another. God's love was selfish, sacrificial, unconditional, merciful, gracious, enduring, costly, doing that which we were helpless to do. And in light of all of that, what should my love for one another look like? What should your love for one another look like? There needs to be others in my life, in your life, here at GBC. And I need to know what's going on in their lives so that I know how I can love them. I need to always be looking for ways to love them, earnestly, constantly, consistently. My love needs to be selfless with godly motivations. Everything that I have, time, knowledge, energy, possessions, they're all the Lord's. And those need to be available to love one another. It may be costly. It often is inconvenient. It may be a sacrifice. But that's how God wants us to be loving one another here at GBC. Question number two, how does God want us to practice caring for one another? And if you notice under care on the uh handout it says care for one another bear one another's burdens be kind to one another comfort one another pray for one another and we're going to uh talk about how we care for one another found in first corinthians chapter 12 verse 25 And here, the context, uh, Paul is writing to the local church at Corinth. And Paul has been dealing with division within the body of the Corinthian church. They, they've had factions over who was baptized by who. And now Paul is addressing division within the church because of spiritual gifts. And the focus Paul has here is on unity of believers as one body in Christ. Not as individuals, but unified for the common good. And the different members of the body are necessary. And I'm going to start reading in verse 12. Chapter 12, verse 12. For even as the body is one and yet has many members, for all the members of the body, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jew or Greek, whether slave or free. We were all made to drink of one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot says, because I'm not a hand, I am not a part of the body, is it not for this reason any less a part of the body? If the ear says, because I'm not an eye, I am not a part of the body, is it not for this reason any less a part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. If they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which, deem, which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow much more abundant honor, and our less presentable members become much more presentable, whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked, so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. In verse 24, it says, God, but God has so composed the body. So he's been talking about all these different uh, parts of the body, members of the body, and God so composed the body. God is the one who organized it. God is the one who put it together. And he did it so that there would be no division in the body, verse 25. But that the members may have the same care for one another. God's desire is not that there's division. His desire is for unity here. And Paul is contrasting the division within the body that could happen with care for one another. That the members but that the members may have the same care for one another. And then Paul provides two examples of this kind of care in verse 26. If one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. And over the years, as I have taught this lesson, you know, there's just the examples that we have within our own body of the suffering and of the rejoicing. And, As I think back to uh, four weeks ago with Caleb Kelso um, did we not all just suffer with the Kelsos did we not all just feel that pain and pray for them and care for them in all the ways that we can and I know as I needed to call people to inform them of that news. Um, I can't think of a single exception where the knee-jerk reaction, the the just reflex was what can we do? How can we help? How can we care for them? That is the right reflex. That is the right response. That That is a good Christian response because every one of us is feeling that. We are all suffering with them, not in the way that they are, but we are hurting for them. And that is the the right response, the right reflex, um, is to want to care for them in those ways. And the other example that Paul provides is rejoicing. And this is where, you know, when there's new babies, when there's new adoptions, when there's engagements, when there's marriages, we get to celebrate these things corporately together as the body. And those are good things that should be celebrated. And we should rejoice with those who are rejoicing. Another way that God wants us to practice caring for one another is to bear one another's burdens. And this is found in Galatians chapter 6, verse 2. Here, Paul's providing this, uh, talking to the local church that's found in Galatia. And I'm actually going to start reading in verse 1. Brethren, if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Each one looking to yourself, so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. This, this verse, it's dealing with sin and temptation and restoration. Uh, to bear means carry, carrying something that's burdensome, carrying it with endurance. So carrying something really heavy for a long time. Uh, and, and the burden here means a heavy load, which is difficult to lift or carry. So believers in the local church are being called to walk with a fellow believer and to help them bear that burden of sin and temptation. Ultimately, on to repentance and restoration. And all of us, because we are all sinners, we've all borne that burden of sin and temptation. And that is a burden. And we need help carrying that burden. We need help from one another. And this is not just a pastor's job. This is the job of all of us. One of my former pastors said, you are either bearing a burden or you're helping someone else bear theirs. These are the different ways we can practice caring for one another. Next question, how does God want us to practice edifying one another? So under edification on the handout, we have build up one another admonish one another speak truth to one another speak to one another in psalms hymns and spiritual songs i will not be singing for you guys probably for your benefit encourage one another seek after that which is good for one another stimulate one another to love and good deeds we will be first covering build up one another found in first thessalonians chapter 5 verse 11 So go ahead and flip on over there. I'm going to start reading in verse 1. Now, as to the times and the epics, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you. For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. While they are saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with child and they will not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness that the day would overtake you like a thief for you are all sons of light and sons of day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. For those who sleep, do their sleeping at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we will live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another just as you also are doing these believers so this context is dealing with the day of the lord and these believers had questions and concerns about when the day of the lord was going to take place so paul proceeds to encourage them and build them up he explains truth about believers they are not in darkness they're not overtaken they're not destined for wrath They're destined for salvation in Christ. They are sons of light and sons of the day. Therefore, since for unbelievers there's wrath, and since for believers there's no wrath, encourage and build up one another. And that is precisely what Paul does. He gives the command to do this, and he's just done it for them. He's demonstrated that for them. And and we are called to do the same thing. We are called to build up and encourage one another but this this assumes that we're in close communication with believers and spend time with them so that we can build them up and encourage them another way that god wants us to practice edifying one another is to admonish one another so if you flip on over to romans 15 chapter 14 or romans 15 verse 14 And concerning you, my brethren, I myself also am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able also to admonish one another. The word here for admonish, some translations say instruct, is the word nutheteo, which may seem familiar to some of you if you've heard of nuthetic counseling or biblical counseling. It sim- that word simply means to counsel about avoidance or cessation of an improper course of conduct. It means to admonish, to warn, to instruct. But this is not simply instruction for knowledge's sake. It's instruction with the purpose of having somebody avoid or cease doing something. Specifically, uh, this is, this is uh, lovingly going to your brother or sister and warning them about something that needs to cease or something they need to avoid. And this is specifically brought with Scripture. We do not admonish for preferences. Lovingly going to our brothers or sisters and warning them about something that needs to cease or something that needs to be avoided. And we are to do this with one another. And often... We don't want to be confrontational. We want to be encouraging. And at the same time, if our brother or sister is in sin, what is the most loving thing that we can do? We can bring God's word to them and show them where they're in sin, something they need to see, something they need to avoid. And sometimes we might want to use the excuse that, I'm not able to do that. I don't know enough about the Bible. I don't, I'm not a counselor. I haven't been trained. Well, guess what? That's not an excuse. Because Paul says here that he is convinced that they are able, that they are able also to admonish one another. Even the newest believer, with the minimal amount of knowledge they know about God's word, are they going to be as effective as somebody who's been trained? Probably not. But do they have knowledge? And if they see sin, that, that, uh, if they see somebody doing something that the Bible clearly calls, calls out, they, they are able to do that and so are you and so am I. We are able to do that. And so those are uh, a couple of ways that God wants us to practice edifying one another. Another question, how does God want us to practice being humble with one another? And on the handout under humility, we have give preference to one another, be subject to one another, Regard one another as more important than yourself. Confess your sins to one another, and be humble toward one another. We're going to uh, stay in Romans, uh, but we're going to go to chapter 12, verse 10. And we're going to talk about giving preference to one another. Specifically, the last half of verse 10, give preference to one another in honor obviously this command was uh given to the believers of the church at rome Uh, this section of romans has some 25 exhortations for believers and the section that our verse is in deals with family relationships specifically with the family of god and as in verse 10 as it says uh uh, give preference to one another in honor. Some uh, translations say outdo one another in showing honor. This give preference or outdo means to do with eagerness, to do exceedingly, lead the way, go before, proceed, to prefer. And honor simply means high respect or high esteem. And one commentator says that This is to show genuine appreciation and admiration for fellow believers by putting them first. We're to go before. We're to be proactive so that we can give honor. This is is showing genuine appreciation and admiration for one another in the family of God. We're to be quick to show respect, quick to show admiration, quick to acknowledge the accomplishments of others, quick to show genuine love by not being jealous or envious. Why would we not be doing this? Because we're thinking of ourselves first, our own pride, our own jealousy, our envy. It takes humility to get outside of ourselves, to see others at all, let alone to actually see them first. Another way God wants us to practice being humble with one another is to confess your sins to one another. And that is found in James chapter 5, verse 16. Verse 16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. Confess simply means to make an admission of wrongdoing or sin. Confess, you admit it. And we are commanded to continually do this with one another. Who here loves to confess their sin to one another? Right? That's not something that we just typically uh, desire to do. Our sin wants to stay hidden. Our sin wants to stay private. Our sin wants to stay secret. And that can often make us run away from confession. But God, he wants my sin and he wants your sin exposed. And he wants it dealt with in the loving fellowship of other believers. He wants our sin exposed and repented of. And this is just God's kindness that he wants our sin exposed and repented of, and he wants it done to in a way that protects the, the believer who's the sinner. We have these close, intimate relationships to be able to practice confessing our sin with. This is why Matthew 18 is set up the way it is, where it's going first to your brother or sister, and then if they don't repent, you take along a couple more, and if they if there's still no repentance, then you tell it to the church, and it's slowly expanding who's aware, but that's God's kindness because it limits who's aware of it in the first place. It gives the best opportunity for there to actually be change and repentance in a believer's life, so even though it's something that we don't like to do, honestly, we want to have a right relationship with the Lord, and sin gets in the way, And it's God's kindness that he's provided this command. It is a command that we confess our sins to one another. And we get to be able to have these intimate, close relationships to practice, humbly practice this one another. Number five, how does God want us to practice serving one another? Under serve, under service, we have serve one another, be hospitable to one another, and we get to wash one another's feet. We'll get into that one. Um, but first, we're going to talk about serving one another, found in First Peter chapter four, verse ten. I'm actually going to start reading in verse 8. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. So that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Out of a fervent love for one another, we serve one another. And that word uh, for serve may be familiar. It's diakoneo which is where we get the word for deacon. Uh, And that word means a personal service, the discharge of a loving service. In Greek culture, this word had the meaning of waiting tables. And for the Greeks, service was looked down upon as undignified. A common saying for them was, we are born to rule, not serve. Our service to one another is out of love for one another, and it can be very humbling, and it can be very exhausting. And we, as we serve one another, pouring ourselves out for one another, we're serving, verse eleven, by the strength which God supplies. We're serving by His strength, not something in, our, in and of ourselves. And it's so. And the reason is so that in all things, God may be glorified in Jesus Christ. Our loving service to and for one another is all about the other person. It's not about us. And it's all done in God's strength, and it's all done to the glory of God. Another way that God wants us to practice serving one another is to wash one another's feet. Found in John chapter 13... So we're flipping back over to John chapter 13. And that's found in verse 14, but I'm going to start reading in verse 3. Uh, Again, here, Jesus is in the upper room with the disciples, but this time, uh, Judas is actually there. He has not yet left. Uh, this, so, this is prior to Judas leaving, so all 12 of them are there. And I'll start reading in verse 3. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God, got up from supper, laid aside his garments, and taking a towel, he girded himself. Then he poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. So he came to Simon Peter. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I do, you do not realize now, but you will understand hereafter. And Peter said to him, Never shall you wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, then wash not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, he who has bathed needs only to wash his feet but is completely clean and you are clean but not all of you for he knew the one who is betraying him for this reason he said not all of you are clean so when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table again he said to them do you know what i have done to you you call me teacher and lord and you are right for so i am if i then The Lord and the teacher washed your feet. You also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you should should do as I did to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is the one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. Back then in Israel, there was dirt and dust everywhere. And it was not uncommon for this dust to be an inch thick. And what do you think happened when it rained? That inch thick dust turned into a muddy mess. And so wearing only sandals, their feet would get quite dirty. And at the entrance of every Jewish home, there would have been large pots of water so that everyone could have uh, their feet washed before they entered. And for a slave, this was the most menial task that they were given, to wash the feet Of all the guests. And when Jesus and the disciples arrived in the upper room, there was no slave. One of the twelve could have offered to do it, but the twelve were too busy arguing about which one of them was the greatest, which is from Luke chapter 22, verse 24. And they were, so they were too busy being selfish and thinking about their perceived greatness to humble themselves to the service that needed to be done. So Jesus, the God of the universe, the King, the Messiah, who already had humbled himself by coming to earth, took another step even lower. Jesus, by his example, displayed incredible, humble service that the disciples were to do in a like manner with each other. We're to get low and follow our Lord's humble example of service to one another. We don't exactly have the same dirty feet problem that they had back then, but there are plenty of menial, humble tasks that we can serve one another with. And we aren't doing this service, this kind of humble service to be seen, to be noticed. We're doing it, we know who does notice, the Lord notices, and he's the one ultimately, he's our primary audience in all of these things. There are servants that have served this body that nobody even knows about. One of the... For those of you who knew Johnny Beckman before he, before he went to be with the Lord, uh, he was one of those servants who served... He served everybody in the church and most people didn't know... They're like, who was he? Um, he just served in humble ways and humble tasks that people did not see, did not notice, that were... That needed to be done and that served the body. Those are ways that God wants us to practice serving one another. Number six, how does God want us to practice being unified with one another? And under unity on the handout, we see be devoted to one another, let us not judge one another, be of the same mind as one another accept one another, greet one another, wait for one another, do not consume one another, let us not challenge one another, let us not envy one another, show tolerance for one another, bear with one another, do not lie to one another, live in peace with one another, do not speak against one another, do not complain against one another, and fellowship with one another. The first one we're going to go to is be devoted to one another found in Romans chapter 12 verse 10. So going back to Romans 12. Again, this this section is dealing with the family relationship, specifically the family of God. And in verse 10, this now being the first half of verse 10, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Some translations just say uh, love instead of devoted, but this isn't the same kind of love that we've been talking about. The Greek word behind devoted means the natural love that occurs within the family. This is the kindred love, warm affections, and uh, could be translated lovingly loving. And the Greek word behind brotherly love is a word that I know everybody's familiar with. You guys may not know you know Greek. Philadelphia, right? Philadelphia, everybody knows, well, especially after last night. Um, The word literally means love for brother or sister, and it means a blood relative. And these are the affections and tender feelings and kind, caring, concerned, warm feelings and affections that family members, blood relatives, have for one another. And if you put all of that together, uh, and this is also the reason why I'm not a translator, it would be be lovingly loving with one another with loving love. Um, That's just a whole lot of love. And believers are to be devoted to each other. Having those affections of love for each other that are typically reserved for family members, for for blood relatives, for immediate family, for brothers and sisters and parents and children. And here, Paul applies that family blood kind of love to Christians. Believers are brothers and sisters in Christ. There's reason why we're called those kind of family words with each other. It's the family of God. We have one Father, and we are His children, and we are in the family of Christ. There are things that I that I do and say with close family members that I wouldn't uh, normally say just with a friend, but we get to have that kind of unity uh, with our our fellow believers, our fellow brothers and sisters that would have been reserved for the family unit that god has ordained you know the the parents children brothers and sisters that's the relationship that we have with one another here within our local church here at gbc and we're commanded to have those warm familial affections for one another Another way that God wants us to practice being unified with one another is to not, let us not judge one another. Found in Romans chapter 14. It's actually found in uh, verse 13. But I'm going to start reading in uh, verse 1 of chapter 14. And this is going to happens to be what Smith's going to start teaching on, on Sunday. Um, he's going to start going through chapter 14. So this is kind of going to be a broad summary of what he's going to be walking us all through. But let's start reading in verse 1. Now, accept the one who is weak, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. One person has faith that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats vegetables only. The one who eats is not to regard with contempt the one who does not eat. And the one who does not eat is not to judge the one who eats. For God has accepted him. Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person regards one day above another, another regards every day alike. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day, observes it for the Lord. He who eats, does so for the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. And he who eats not, For the Lord, he does not eat and gives thanks to God. For not one of us lives for himself, and not one dies for himself. For if we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be both Lord of the dead and of the living. But you, why do you judge your brother? Or you again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall give praise to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, verse 13, let us not judge one another any more, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way. There are two issues that Paul's addressing in this chapter. One is dealing with food, and the other is dealing with certain days being regarded as more important than the others. There's weak believers. There's strong believers. Strong believers can have an attitude of contemptuous superiority. And weak believers can have an attitude of self-righteousness. And Paul provides the command not to judge one another. They were doing this, and he's giving them the plan to not do it anymore. These issues that they were judging each other with, these issues are in the area of Christian liberty and practice. These areas are neither commanded nor forbidden by Scripture. They are personal preference. and historic tradition, they are not doctrinal or moral compromise. God has accepted both the strong and the weak believer. And if God himself... If God himself doesn't make an issue of such things, what right do his children have to do so? That doesn't mean we don't talk about our preferences, That, but we do not hold our preferences as though they were principles. And we don't judge our brothers and sisters that don't hold the same preferences. And we don't regard them with contempt. That's another way that we get to practice being unified with one another is to not judge each other's preferences. We've investigated six questions on how God wants us to practice biblical relationships within the local church, specifically here within GBC. So let me ask a few more questions. Can one be obedient to scripture and not be practicing the one another's? can can, can one be obedient to Scripture and not be practicing the one another? Can one obediently practice the one another's and not be plugged into a local church? Can one obediently practice the one another's and not be plugged in to a local church? Can one effectively practice the one another's by only participating in body life on the Lord's day? can one effectively practice the one another's by only participating in body life on the Lord's day. We live in America and this country is very consumeristic and we are all impacted by it and we can't get away from it. And given that it's very easy to bring that kind of a consumeristic view into the church and it can be very common to focus only on what I get out of a relationship. Or what I get out of a Bible study, or what I get out of a small group, or what I get out of a worship service. I view how well something is going based solely on what I feel I get out of it. This is a view of relationships within the local church that Scripture does not support. The obedient Christian, you and me, the obedient Christian must be in close biblical relationships with fellow believers here at GBC. And evidence of those close biblical relationships is going to be the practice of the one another's with the people here at GBC. And here at GBC, the primary vehicle we have for practicing these biblical relationships is small groups. That's the the primary vehicle for this. These are gonna be smaller groups of believers here at GBC with which you get to carry out and foster these more intimate relationships so that you can better know them, so that you can better care for them, love them, serve them, and do all the different one another's that we've just been talking about. I'm so thankful for the way that God has composed the body and put us in relationships with one another. There are no Lone Ranger Christians God created the body for a reason. And I'm so thankful that he has provided so much instruction about how we are to live out the Christian life with one another. And I'm thankful for the believers here at GBC that I have close relationships with and get to have those opportunities to practice the one another's. And I know if you've been here for any time, you have similar relationships and have experienced the the love, care, edification, service, and humility and unity with your fellow believers here at GBC. So hopefully I was able to provide some familiarity with the one another so that they stand out in scripture or so that we can be better practicing them more effectively, specifically within the body here at GBC. If anyone has any questions, concerns uh, about anything that I've said already, uh, feel free to contact me, uh, call me, email, anything, um, or catch me on Sunday. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, your word is clear. Your word is sufficient. And your word, what we've gone over today, has so many commands. This is you commanding us and how we are to carry out these biblical relationships, how we are to relate to one another within the local church. And for us, this local church is here at GBC. Lord, I do pray As you work in all of our hearts to, so that we may excel still more, that it would be excelling still more to your glory. So that GBC would just be an instrument of your glory to an unbelieving world. And this world would just question how we are loving one another, how we are carrying out these relationships that they don't get to experience. God, you have done this. You've done it in our hearts. You have saved us. Uh, You've saved us into a body, and you've told us how we are to interact with one another, and it's all for your glory. Jesus, it's in your great name we pray. Amen.